Do you guys say, use me? Um, and as, as we talked about last week, use me is really the idea that if God can use anyone, I want God to use me. If God can take anyone's talents and anyone's abilities and anyone, anyone's resources, anyone's finances, and if God can use anyone's stuff or anyone's things or anyone's past or anyone's present or anyone's energy or anyone, like, I just, I just want God to use me. So we step up and we step up with willing hands and with willing hearts and we just simply say, God, I'm willing to serve. Whatever that looks like, wherever that looks like, whoever that looks like, I'm just willing to serve you or to serve other people because I want you to use me. And if you can use me by serving someone else, I want you to use me um, to, to, I want you to use my service. I want you to use my willingness to serve someone to do something in the world. And so that's, that's the first part that we talked about last week. And as I, as I left last week, I really felt like that was really the whole thing. And as I was praying this week, I really felt there was another aspect of this that I was supposed to share with you guys. And so today I want to talk about the second aspect of how God uses us. And, and this starts actually with something that I, I think I figured out for the very first time. It was about nine years ago. I had just proposed to Jalen um, uh, about a, a week and a half before this event happened. Um, I had I'd proposed to Jalen. So I was an engaged man in the first 10 year, ten days of engaged life, um, which how many of you guys have been through engagement at some point? And you're like, yeah, like it's fun. Like, it, like when you get engaged, it's like all the excitement in the world happens. It's like, look at us. And everyone's excited and patting you on the back and saying, you got a good one. And you got to, you know, and, and I, I, I like, you know, that's what people are saying to me. And I, I no one said that to Jalen, which I thought was kind of weird. Anyway, <laughs> I was like, she got a good one too, okay? You know, like, and so, so you know, so I'm like, all right. Anyway, so, so, so at this point in, in, in life and in ministry, um, I was in Alamogordo as a youth pastor and our, our pastor was, um, he kind of oversaw, like he was responsible for overseeing uh, a bunch of different churches in kind of the southwestern part of the, of the state of New Mexico. Uh, and there was a church in, uh, in Mescalero, which if you're not familiar with Mescalero, Mescalero is um, about, about an, uh, 45 minutes north of, uh, of Alamogordo and it's, a Native American reservation and uh, for the, the Mescalero Apache. And so they, there was a church there and their pastor had retired and they had not yet found a new pastor. So our pastor, lovingly as he could, decided that youth pastor Chris and his son, executive pastor Justin, we were going to take turns going up every weekend to preach in Mescalero at this church in Mescalero. And what he didn't tell us in advance was there had the reason that things that we needed to be there was there had been a really a church split. There was a man in the church who years back had been a pastor and while he was a, a pastor became an alcoholic, which is a thing that sometimes happens, I guess. And so, so, so he, be, he became an alcoholic and he lost his pastoral license. He eventually came back to faith and be, began attending this church in, in Mescalero. And, um, when, when, when it was announced that their pastor was retiring, he said, well, I want to be the pastor. And everyone thought, well, sure, that sounds like a good idea. And unfortunately, because, because of, of some of the things that had happened in his past, the, the church said, you know, you, you haven't really dealt with some of that. You, you, like you haven't, you, we want you to get your pastoral license back. And he got his feelings hurt and said, well, if you won't let me be the pastor, I'll start my own church. Okay. And so, so he, so he took about 50 to 60 people in this church of about 90 people. And they went and started having services in a bowling alley. And so we were going up and every Sunday, you know, for, for three months that we, that myself and my friend, Justin, we were going up and back and up and back, you know, there's maybe 20, 30 people in, in the building. And, uh, and, and they told me this. And so, th so this isn't me interpreting something. When the service would start, there would be like negative four people in the room. Like, like, the, and they would say, they would tell me, I was like, man, everyone's running really late. And they said, no, this is just Native American time. And I thought, okay, I'm sure you can say that. I can't say, you know, I can't say that. And so, so 
I, but I, I said it here. So they, they, told me, they, they, they told me, no, people will show up right about the time that you start to preach. And I thought, that's interesting. Okay, it's kind of weird, but, you know, that's all right. That's, I guess it's Native American time. And so, so there'd be, you know, like no one there. And then, you know, 30 minutes in, there would be maybe 20, 25 people there. And I was thinking, okay, this is a good experience. We'll go preach and preach to some people that I don't know and, you know, get to know a new congregation. And this is kind of going to be fun. And so we're doing it for three, about three months. And there was a stretch right around when Jalen and I got engaged where I, I, I was on vacation and I was speaking in Alamogordo and then I was speaking somewhere else. So I hadn't been up to, up to Mescalero in about a month. And so this particular Sunday, I showed up and before, and I'm there 15 minutes early like I was supposed to be. And there's like 95 people in the room. And I'm thinking, man, Justin must have been preaching really good these last couple weeks because revival has broken out in Mescalero and there's like a ton of people in this church. This is like really something. I'm like, wow, wow. And everyone was like really quiet. Like no one was talking to each other. I thought, well, this is kind of odd. This is kind of interesting, but maybe they just don't know each other all that well yet. And so worship started to go. And, um, you know, there's this girl singing and singing and playing the keyboards and she goes and goes and goes for like, you know, 25 minutes of singing and playing and singing and playing and singing and playing. And then usually what would happen is she would pray after she was done singing and then she would kind of, you know, motion for me to come up and then I would preach. And so on this Sunday, she kind of motioned for, like, like motioned at me. And instead, this other man who I had never met before walked up to the stage. And I thought, huh, I wonder who this guy is. I don't know who this, I don't know, who the, I've never seen this man before. I don't know, I don't know who this man is. And it turns out that this man was the man who had tried to split the church. And, 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 I, and, I, and I, like he started to explain, and he started talking about how, how apologetic he was for trying to split the church. And I thought, oh, good. This is going to be like reconciliation. It's going to happen in front of me. Like, they all came back. It's so wonderful. Yay. Yay, Jesus. You know, like, I'm an I'm optimistic little white boy, you know, sitting like where Christopher Floyd is, right? You know, like, just in the you know, second row. I'm like, yay. Things are going to get good. And, and, and so he's, you know, and I just want to say we need to join together. And I'm like, yeah, we do need to join together. Yeah. And then he goes, so what we need to do is today we need to take a vote to leave the assemblies of God and become our own church with me as the pastor. And I thought, oh no. Oh, we were on such a good path. And then things got really bad really fast. And I, like, I was so like, what is happening? What is happening? And so here's what happens. So I didn't realize this. He's the guy who tried to split the church. The girl who leads worship and is singing and playing the piano is his daughter-in-law. And she goes, she goes, you know, dad, this isn't appropriate. And I'm like, oh yeah, thanks. You know, like throw dad in there. She's like, dad, this is not appropriate. There was no announcement about this. We can't take a vote on, you know, the constitution and bylaws says we can't take a vote if we didn't announce it at least two weekends in advance. And he starts yelling back at her into the microphone. And I'm like, she doesn't have a microphone. He has a microphone. So she's like trying to up the volume and he's, you know, still louder because he's got a microphone. And then this was the craziest thing that I've ever seen or happened anywhere. This guy stands up from within the, like, in the pews, and he yells at the lady. He says, well, who's, who gives you anything, any right to say anything? You're not even an Apache. And I thought, what? Like, what is happening here? What is, you know, and he's like, he's like, you're a Navajo. You don't get to say anything to us Apaches. And I'm like, what on earth is happening? And so, so at this point, like, I mean, it just, the room turns into 90 people yelling at each other. And I'm like, 
I want to leave so bad. I want to not be here. This is, this is the worst place possible for me to be. And it got worse because then she grabbed the microphone from her dad, or from her father-in-law, and said, well, Brother Chris is here from the Assemblies of God network. Maybe he can help us. And I'm thinking, no. First of all, Brother Chris is not here from the Assemblies of God. Br- Brother Chris is here to preach a sermon, not to, not to solve, you know, Native American fights. Like, like that's a, and I'm just sitting there going, they are going to scout me. Like, that is the actual thought. I am not going to get out of here alive. Like, things are going to go very, very badly. I promise you, that was not racist. That was just like, in that moment, I was like, I'm not getting out of here alive. And so she goes, no, please come up. Please come up. Please help us solve this. I'm like, I'm not going to solve anything. So I walk up and I, and I, I very calm, you know, as calm as I could be in this moment, I walked up and I, and I said, can you guys both please give me your microphones? And the guy said, if I have to give you this, if I have to give a white boy this microphone, and I thought, oh, this, whatever the end of this sentence is, it's not going to be good. If I have to give a white boy this microphone, I'm leaving and taking everyone with me. And I said, well, sir, if that's what you feel like you need to do, you go ahead and you do that. And, and, and again, I, I felt like I was being very polite. I wanted to be stern, but polite because this man was an, an older man and I didn't want to be rude to him. But I said, if, you need to, if, if that's what you need to do, you feel free to go ahead and, 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 and head out. And so he walked off the stage and 70 people walked out with him. Now, I've preached some bad sermons over the years. I've never had, like, before I even started, like, you know, 90% of the room leaves. And so here's the question what do you do then? Like that, that's, that's how service started. That was, that was like, hey, before we even preached anything, everyone's mad at each other and everyone's like kind of ticked and everyone's looking at, at 27 year old white boy, Chris from the, from, from the assemblies of God, you know, here to solve the problem and going, well, what, what do we do now? And I, and I, I had a message prepared and I was like, nope, that's not, we're not preaching. We're not preaching that. And I said, guys, what we're going to, you know, we're going to do is we're, let's take three or four minutes here. And I want you to just join in groups of three or four. And I want you to pray for unity, I want to pray. I want. To, I want us to pray for peace. I want us to pray that 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 God would have His way in in this church, and that there would be a future for this church, and that that, that the things that have marked the last few months would not be true of this church anymore. And so, you know, the, so so everybody kind of joins together for about three or four minutes, and I start to pray up on the stage. I'm like, God, like, what am I going to say to like 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 what do I what do I, what, like, I'm, I'm throwing out my old message because it, it was just, it was not going to, like, not going to fly. And I felt like God led me to just read over and over again um, the chapter 1 Corinthians 13. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is something that all of us have heard pre- taught at a wedding, heard prayed at a wedding, heard read at a wedding. You know, when you go to a wedding, chances are you're going to hear 1 Corinthians 13. And I was planning to get married in about five months, and so I had been reading through 1 Corinthians 13 a lot, and I knew it as the love chapter. And I was like, God, you want me to read a wedding verse to this church where everyone's just like ticked and mad? And God was like, yeah. And I want you to read it like five or six times until everyone gets it. And I was like, okay. So I read it like four or five times. And everyone's like, is he still reading this same thing over and over again? And I said, are you guys starting to get that this is like important? And they said, we're kind of like, and someone actually said, it sounds pretty repetitive. I said, okay, so you haven't gotten it. And so I read it five more times. 
And then someone finally said, amen. And I was like, good, all right, one person got it. So I read it five more times. This chapter that that we're gonna read has a lot more to do with the church, has a lot more to do with how we're supposed to respond to people in life situations than it does does actually about any kind of wedding or marriage stuff. And so I wanna read this today because I think this has a lot to teach us about how God actually wants to use us. And so we're gonna read from, starting in 1 Corinthians 12, the verses right before we get to 1 Corinthians 13. And so here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 29. It says this, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in other tongues, do all interpret? In other words, Paul is referencing these gifts, what's known as the gifts of the Spirit that he mentions earlier in this chapter. And, and what kind of became known in this, in this Corinthian church was there's certain things that get you the spotlight. There's certain things that get you attention. And so the things that got all the attention was the apostles and the prophets and people who could teach and people who could do miracles and people who, who could heal others and people who, you know, spoke in tongues. And, and he's saying, look, does everyone do this? No, not everyone does this. Not everyone does those things. Those are gifts given for a specific time, for a specific purpose, but not everyone has them. So if you don't have that gift, don't try to force the gift in order to get yourself attention which is an interesting thing. This was the conflict in that, in that church that I was at. It was a guy going, unless I can be the pastor, I can't actually be used here. Unless I can be the minister, unless I can be in charge, I can't actually be the one, you, you know, I can't be used by God here. And so Paul says right up front, he's like, look, are all, are, is everyone meant to be a teacher? No. Is everyone meant to be a pastor? No. Is everyone meant to be in a spotlight? No. But there are things beyond the spotlight that God will use in big ways. And so Paul then says, but desire the greater gifts. In other words, this is interesting. Paul says the things that happen in the spotlight aren't the greater gifts. Paul says there's gifts that build up the church, and then there's gifts that, are, that happen in the spotlight. And it's almost like Paul is saying the gifts in the spotlight sometimes are things that happen one-on-one, but God uses the gifts that are out of the spotlight to accomplish some bigger things. So Paul says, but desire the greater gifts. And then he says, and I'll show you an even better way. Would you guys say even better way? Is an even better way. He says, look, okay, there's gifts, there's talents, there's all this stuff, there's speaking in tongues, there's gifts of healing, there's prophecy, there's apostleship, there's, you know, there's all this stuff that's important and it's important because God says it's important and it's important because God wants to use teachers to help us understand his word and he wants to use apostles to help lead us and he wants, like, you know, and all that kind of, and, and, he, and he brings people who can accomplish miracles and bring healing because he wants to heal us and wants to show us his power and those are all important but he says, look, there's a better way. There is a better way than all that and so he says, let me show you the better way. And immediately he jumps into 1 Corinthians 13, which is interesting because most of us, again, when we hear 1 Corinthians 13, we think weddings, love, weddings, love, marriage, love, marriage, love. And some of you are like, yeah, I'd like to get some marriage. Like, do you have some of that? And you're like, no, oh, you got to work on that your own. And, but but he, he says, Paul, for, for Paul, this was not about marriage, not about love, although it certainly applies. This was about, within the context of the local church or the church at, at large, how we're supposed to act toward each other, how we're supposed to, to be toward one another, how we're supposed to be toward people who come into our midst and interact with us. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have, what's that word? Love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I asked Jalen, I said, should I bring out a cymbal for that portion of the message? She said, no, because no one wants to hear that. (laughs) Paul says, if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm a cymbal in isolation, and a cymbal in isolation sounds terrible. 
She was right. No one wants to hear that. And Paul says, if I speak in human or angelic tongues, but I don't have love, I'm like that. That's how, that's, that's how bad it is for someone to be in the spotlight, but not to be a person of love. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have what? Yeah, then he says, I am nothing. Like, wait, wait, wait. You're saying like, but, but, you, but you have, but, you, but you, you can prophesy and you understand all these mysteries and you can explain things to people and you have all kinds of knowledge and you have faith that can move mountains. And Paul says, yeah, but if I'm not a person of love, all of that is kind of just nothing. It's just squat. I mean, just, Paul says, like, just imagine being able to go out and like, you have enough faith that you can look at the Oregon mountains and you're like, move. And they do. How impressed would people be by you? Be like, wow. Wow, Eric looked at those mountains and he flicked his nose and the mountains moved. And wow, look at Eric. And Paul says, you know, like if Eric does that, but he's not a person of love, he's nothing. Huh? But, but he moved, he's like, yeah, but he's nothing. Okay, all right. And he says, and if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I mean, some of us, we, we, have, we have more than others, but like, just imagine Lydia is like, you know what? Everything I have, selling my iPhone. Do you have an iPhone? Yep, not anymore. You sold it. Do you have an iPad? No. Okay, because so you sold it. Yeah, do you, like, you know, do you, so, do you have a car? Yeah. Not anymore. You sold it. You, you sold, sold, all, sold all your, enough, enough clothes that you can come to church. You know, like, I like got rid of the clothes. No more hair curler. No more hair straightener. No more makeup. Just like sold it all so that she could give everything away to the poor. But if Lydia is not a person of love, that means nothing. So Paul says, look, all these things that we think, these are outward expressions of religion. And as good as they are, they often accomplish things. They often will, you know, will, will help someone. They'll, 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 you know, something might happen from it. But Paul says there's really only one outward expression that matters, and it's the outward expression of love. For Paul, love is not a noun. It's not something that you fall into. It's something that you act from. It's something that you, it's an outward action. It's an expression. It's I act lovingly towards other people. And if I can move mountains, but I'm not loving, I miss. If I can teach and preach, but I don't, but I don't love, I miss. If I sing worship songs, but I'm not a loving person, I miss out on something that, that, that God says is actually the most important deal. So what, what, happens, what happens here is that if, if you're really loving and you're kind and you're servant-hearted for two hours on a Sunday morning, let me tell you what, you'll probably impress me a whole lot, but if you're rude at Target on Tuesday, Paul is saying you've missed the boat. If, I, if, if I'm willing to serve for the, the, for the six hours that I'm, that I'm here from start to, to finish on Sunday morning, and I'm like, man, I just love people, and oh man, praise Jesus, brother, you know, hallelujah, gosh, you know, amen, you know, like, and I'm, and I'm so kind and so loving and handshaking and high-fiving and, you know, just really kind to everyone, but if I'm rude to the waiter, at, to, to the person serving my Chipotle on, a sun, uh, on Sunday afternoon when I go, because that's where I go every Sunday, if I've, if, I mean, and, and, you know, if, if I'm rude to them, Paul says, you've missed the boat. You know, congrats on the teacher preacher. Congrats on all the setup. Congrats on playing the drums. That's all wonderful and great. But if you weren't loving to the people around you outside of the church, what have you really accomplished? And Paul would say, nothing. So then he goes on to clarify what, what he's really talking about. He says in verse four, love is patient. 
love is kind. And you want to know what the worst part about being the preacher is? The worst part about being the preacher is you know what you're going to preach before everyone else does. And so God gives you like extra time to prepare and make sure that you, like, you've squared it away in your heart. So I, you know, I'm writing this on Thursday and Friday. I had to go to Albertsons to pick up some stuff for, for dinner. And I had to pick up some cheese and um, some olives and um, some pizza sausage. And that's, that was, we're eating pizza. And um, and so, so, so I'm, I'm in line. I have five things. So I go to the express checkout, which is a thing, you know, it's, it's the, the place where if you have 15 items or less and the guy, and there's only two people in front of me. So I'm like, I'm going to pick this lane. And the, the, the guy up at the, the front had like 94 items. Like I, like I'm, I'm, I'm a little ways back. So I had some time on my hands. I'm like, that's a lot. That's more than 15. And I got, and I got, and I got kind of mad. Like, it's like, I mean, I could understand 17. I'll even, I'll even be so patient as like 18. Okay, fine. You clear 20 and we got we to gotta have a conversation, right? I'm like, there is another lane, sir, you know? And, and so there's that. And so that takes a long time. And then the, the gentleman in front of me was a little bit of an older gentleman and was having trouble remembering his pin. And he tried to put it in four times and apparently it locks you out after that. So it was, so it was just like, I was waiting forever and I was like, I, I have patented, I have, I have a patented sound that I make when I'm, when I'm done being patient. Does anyone have like a sound that like, for, for me, it's like this audible sigh. It's, it's, like, it's like, I'm just going to demonstrate it for you. <sighs> anyone have one of those? Yeah. And so I was like, getting ready to unleash my patented sigh so that, so that everyone around me can know that I am just done being patient. And as I'm like rear, like, like I'm, I'm not, like, I'm not joking. I get theatrical. I, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta gear up. I'm like, I took my deep breath in and then this verse hit me. Love is patient. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, like <laughs> dumb. Like, like, you know, like, I'm just like, dumb. And so I'm like, and then I have all this breath and I can't let it out with my patented sigh. So I'm like. Because in that moment, I remember like, okay, this is, this is just taking a little bit longer. And that doesn't give me an excuse to be rude. So I'm going to be patient because I'm not naturally a patient person. But if God's giving me this opportunity and bringing my attention to the fact that right now I want to be impatient, it means that God is actually pointing out that I have some work to do in the area of love. So he says, love is patient, love is kind. He says, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, the reason, this is, this is actually the most frustrating portion of 1 Corinthians 13 to read at a wedding, because what you know as the pastor is you're talking to the bride and groom. You're not really talking to anyone else out in the crowd. You know, I, I try to get a few laughs here and there, but like, you, you're real, like what you're, what you're t- trying to like read is something that like, hey, you guys should listen to and pay attention to, because if you'll do this, this will make marriage easier. Like if you'll be patient and kind all the time, like, that's a good. And if you'll be like, you know, if, if you won't keep a record of wrongs, that's good. If you're not arrogant, that's good. And you're reading it and you know that the bride and groom are just like looking into each other's eyes and like giggling and like, 
You know, it's like, like, like they're not paying attention to anything. They just want to hear, like, just say, I do, I do, yep. And you pronounce it like, yeah, you kiss them. That's all, it, that's all they're paying. Like, tell me when we can kiss and when we can leave and we're good, so we're married. You know, that's, that's, that's all they're really paying attention to. And so you're like, this is what you got to pay attention to. You got to pay attention. If you, want, if you want your love to last, it's got to be built on these things. It's, if you want love to last, this is the difficult work of love. If you want to be a person known of love, if you want your marriage to be known for the love between the two of you, it takes work. It takes practice. And these are things that don't come naturally. But Paul says, look, I know patience doesn't come naturally, but love is patient. I know kindness doesn't always come naturally, but, but love is kind. I know, I know there's moments in your life where, you, where you're full of envy, but love doesn't envy. I know there's moments where you want to boast about yourself and take great pride in yourself, but love doesn't do that. I know there's moments where you want to be arrogant and, self, and kind of puffed up, but love doesn't do that. It's, it, it, and I know there's moments where it's easy to be rude, but love doesn't do that. Does it, it's, I know there's moments where you want to, what you want, no matter how it affects someone else, but Paul says love doesn't do that. So Paul says there's all this stuff that doesn't come naturally that love requires, and you've got to work to be, to be the things that love requires of you. This is the difficult work of relationship. This is the difficult work of, of love in a, in a marriage relationship. This is the difficult work of loving at your job. This is the difficult work of loving in a church. This is a difficult work of loving in a small group that, that, that none of this comes naturally. One of them might come naturally for you, for you, but you're called to all of it. And so here's what I would say for all of us. I think we, we, we should probably look at ourselves and try to put our name in, in the space of love that if I can't say Chris is patient, that's my, that's my homework. That, if, if I, that, that, you know, that I want it to go, Chris is patient, Chris is kind. And I know those two things aren't always true of me. And that's where my homework begins. That Chris does not envy. Chris is not boastful. Chris is not arrogant. And I know there's times where all of those are true about me. And that's where my homework begins. So for you, just a little bit of homework today, maybe is that you would actually try to put your name in the place of love. And if you haven't yet gotten to a place where those are true of you, that that's where your homework begins. That's where, that's, that's where you have room to grow to be more loving. Then he goes on to say this in verse eight. He says, love never ends. Love never ends. Then he says, but as for prophecies, they'll come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. In other words, most of what we see in the here and now is just partial and temporary, and it's just a small glimpse into what God ultimately has for us. He says, that's all going to come to an end. And he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man or when I became an adult is actually the best translation of that. When I became an adult, when I grew up, when I grew up, I put aside childish things. This is fascinating. Paul attributes love to maturity. Paul attributes love to maturity. It's almost like Paul is, is saying the single most mature thing that you can do or that I can do as a Jesus follower is to take a step to become more loving, to examine ourselves and say, if there's a way that I, need, that I, that, uh, that I can become more loving, if there's a step that I need to take to become more loving, then my most mature thing is not gonna be to read more of the Bible or to spend more time in prayer. The most mature step that I could take is actually to become more loving and to, become, and to love the way that God wants me to love. If it means I need to be willing to be more patient, that's my maturity step. If it means I, I need to be more kind, that's my maturity step. If I need to stop being so boastful and prideful, that's my maturity step. If I need to not be so rude and self-seeking, self that's my step of maturity. 
Paul says that deep is ultimately not about understanding. Deep is about acting in love. Deep is about being the most loving that you can be. And that, that at the end of the day, that your depth as a Christian is only as deep as you are willing to love someone else. And then, and then he finishes it off this way. He says, you know, so this is all partial. This is all temporary. None of this is perfect. But he says, so this is going to go away. This is going to go away. This is going to go away. Prophecy is going to go away. Tongues are going to go away. The miracles might stop for a little bit. This might stop for a little bit. But the one thing that doesn't stop, you're never called to stop loving. You're never supposed to stop loving. This might go away. This might go away. But never stop loving. And then he says in verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I'll know fully as I am fully known. And then he says this, so after everything fades away, there's three that remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So you don't even need to be a church person to know that. You've heard that at weddings. The greatest of these is love. The most important of these. It's a, Paul says, look, faith's important. Hope's important. If there's one thing that'll make the difference in the world, if there's one thing that'll allow God to use you that more, more than anything else, it'll be your love. The thing that ultimately matters, the thing that ultimately shows, shows that God has done something in you and God has done something for you that is changing you and has changed you and has made you new, it's that you would actually love in a way that is different from the way all, all people naturally act towards one another. Paul says simply this, he says, God always uses people who are marked and motivated by his love. That's the bottom line today. God always uses people who are marked and motivated by love. Marked meaning that, that, I, that I, I have known and experienced God's love. I understand something about how God has loved me. So the way that I love is different in response because of it. And when it comes to how I, how, like why I ultimately do the things I do, I do it because I've, been, because I've experienced God's love. And I want to do things for a different reason. Than, it's not just about me anymore. It's not just about the, me and my one or two friends. It's actually about something bigger than that. I've experienced God's love. And now that motivates me to do something for others people. Uh, Bob Goff, Bob Goff wrote an incredible book called um, Everybody Always. And in it, in, in this book, he, he, I mean, like when I re read this book, like I was, I just had a highlighter out the entire, I'm like, man, I'm going to need to come back through this with like a second color highlighter because everything in here is highlighted. Like there's just so much good stuff in it. But this one quote that he said, it just like really took me back. Here's, here's what he said. He said, the best way for us to show people that God is everything that we say he is is for us to be everything he says that we are. And then he said, so become love. That as Jesus followers, our job is to be so marked by God's love for us, so changed by God's love for us, not that we become weird, not that we become different, but that we, become, that we experience and practice a different way of loving those around us. He says, look, if you want to show, show people around you that God is just as good and just as loving as we say he is, as we believe he is, as we, as we worship like he is, the best way to do that is not to worship louder, although we, I love when we worship loud, is not to raise your hands more, although I love when we raise our hands. It's not even to read your Bible more, although I think we should all be spending time every single day reading the Bible. He says, look, the ultimate way that we'll show the world the love of God is by becoming the love of God to the world around us. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how God uses us. That, God, like, that beyond the idea of being willing to serve, it's simply God's going to take our love 
that he's, that he's put in us anyway. God's going to take our willingness to work toward becoming love, and he'll use that to love people in such a way that they would actually notice something different about us and want to know what causes us to love like that. And when we do that, we, when people wonder, well, what, cause, what would cause you to be patient when everyone else is impatient? Well, it's because I just believe that that's what God wants me to be, and God is patient with me, so why would I not be patient with the person in front of me? It's something so different. It's something so new. It's something so contrary to the way the rest of the world works. But this is how God uses us. God always uses people who are marked and motivated by his love. Now, if I could break this down a little bit. Marked simply means the way we do things should be different because of God's love through us. And when you think of, of, of marked, I mean, I don't know what you think of. I think of like cattle branded, like, you know, like, you know, fire up the, the iron, get it all hot, put it on the cattle. Someone getting a tattoo that says, you know, mom, or, you know, like my mom's name is Rebecca. You know, like this is where I came from. So I get a big old heart tattoo with Rebecca on it, which would be the ultimate insult to my mom, by the way, because she's like, tattoos are gross. You know, like you shouldn't get one. And so I'd be like, I love you, mom. And she'd be like, I hate you, son. You know, anyway, so that like, but it's, it's, it's the idea like, that there's something that has happened that causes people to know this is who this person belongs to. This is where this person came from. This is why they do what they do. That we should be marked. Our love should be marked, should be markedly different from the love of the rest of the world. The rest of the world's love, by the way, is pretty selfish. It's pretty, it's pretty self-centered. Our love should be centered on Jesus has done something for us, so we want to do something for other people. So the way that we talk should, to each other should be different. We should talk in a loving way. Some of us, let's be honest, we talk sarcastically a lot. I know that this is a thing for me. I talk sarcastically all the time. And I know there's times that my sarcasm has hurt people. There's probably some of you that at times my sarcasm, like in an offhanded comment that I never met, may, may have hurt or offended someone. And if I've ever done that, I'm, I'm just, I'm so sorry. The way we talk should be full of encouragement, should be full of love, should be full of life, should be trying to build someone up, not just to, not trying to take a joke just, to, just, to, just to, get, you know, to get a laugh, but should look toward the benefit of another person. The way that we treat people, the way that we treat people should be markedly different, that we would be actually patient with other people when, pe when the rest of the world isn't patient. That when someone cuts us off in traffic, we're like, is anyone else ready to want, wanting to cut me off? Like, I mean, like, because you can, you can, I'll let you go. I'll let you go. I mean, like right now, like think of this, like in our town, there's like a billion places where there's road construction, right? And it's frustrating for everyone. It's like, I can't get, can't get from side A to side B without having to go through nine points of traffic, blah, 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 and construction, and blah, 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 orange cones, blah, blah, blah. And we can get so frustrated and think, well, okay, since that's, you know, like every time I get an intersection, I gotta, I gotta, you know, look out for me and mine and, you know, and everything. What if we were just patient at, an, at, a, at a traffic stop? What if we're patient with road construction? What if we're, like, what if we're patient in a dentist's office? What if we're patient in, in a doctor's office? What if every time we have to wait, our default was just, I'm going to be patient. What if every time that you have an opportunity to be kind of rude or get, or get your way or speak up for yourself, you're just like, you know what, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be kind. So the way I treat people, it's full of kindness. It's when I see a need, I want to meet it. I'm, I'm going I'm to look for ways to meet needs because the way I want to treat people, I want it to be marked by love. The way that we exercise patience when people don't change quickly. Has anyone ever been frustrated by someone else not changing? Yeah. Frustrated with that a lot. Because I'm not a real patient person. And I, and, and I, and I have that kind of personality type where I'm like, no, just be, 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 as, be smart and, and change. 
Like that's like, and so like, so I have a tendency to go, well, you're not changing quickly enough. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's go. And, and what, if, what if patience wasn't just about, you know, letting someone take a little bit longer, but letting actually people, letting people actually take as long as they need to change. So like, hey, you might not be where you, where, where, where you want to be or where I want you to be, but you're not yet, where you're not where you were. You've come a long way. So it might take a little bit longer, but let's be patient. Let's be encouraging. Let's be loving. Let's lift people up for, where, for, where they, for the change they have experienced instead of tearing people down for, the, for, what they, for the, the rest of the way they haven't gone yet. Let's be willing to be patient. The way we greet people for the first time as, as a church and, 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 and the way we greet people when they come back. See, one of the things that, we've, that I've instilled in, in, our, in our greeters and hopefully hopefully, hopefully they get this, is when someone shows up who's been away for a while, we don't say, where you been? Where you been? We say, oh, so good to have you back. Because that communicates to someone who's showing up and hasn't been here for a while, we missed you, but, but there's no guilt in, in that. Does that make sense? We don't want to make you feel guilty the first time you set foot in the door. We want to show the love of God, and so we're going to show patience even in, in how we greet. Like, oh, it's so good to have you back. Not where you been. Where you been? Where you been? Where you been? Guilt. Guilt doesn't really have any place in love. And so we say, so glad to have you back. We're so glad you're here. We don't even know you yet. We're so glad you're here. First time you're here. So glad you're here. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. We don't know, we don't even know if it's good to have you here yet. Like you're like, right? We don't even like, but we're glad to have you here. It's the way we greet people because it's because we greet out of love. How we forgive people, which now Tom is Tom is not quite not in here. I hope he's listening in the lobby. Um, some of you guys know last week Tom did something that was just really, really, really terrible and and stupid um, and just dumb and bad. And um, and I, I I really hope he's hearing this in the lobby. Tom during the second service, Tom, who greets everyone and wears the orange shoes, I got a message from, from, from our, our normal keys player, Justin, uh, during the second service. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stitches get stitches. That's why Justin's not here today. I get a, no, um, I, get, I, got a, I got a picture message from Justin saying, hey, it looks like you might have some trouble. And it was a picture of Tom saran wrapping my Jeep. It's only to, yeah, okay, so there's, all right, yeah, so there's some guilt there. All right, great, yeah. So, so Tom saran wraps my car, apparently only, only Tom, definitely not Joe, um, was you know, saran wrapping my car. The only person I could see in the picture was Tom, but he sent me multiple pictures. He, like, and one night, so I sent Tom a, a message. I was like, does this guy look familiar to you? And I can't, I can't remember, Tom made up some fake name like Riley or Rick or something like that. Yeah, he looks just like me in the town. You know, he lives here, he looks just like me, but he's not me, definitely not me. And I was like, all right. And so Tom, I just wanna let you know, I forgive you. <laughs> but I also wanna let you know, April 1st is not that far away. <laughs> but here's the thing, how we forgive people, it matters. Love should cause us to forgive. The fact that we've been loved by God and forgiven by God, it should make us really quick to forgive others. Tom, Tom messaged, he's like, he's like, you're not like mad, are you? I'm like, oh, I'm so mad. You know, like, I'm like, I gave a pair of scissors to like a seven-year-old. He cut all the saran wrap. It didn't affect me one bit. Like, you know, like, because he gives scissors to kids. You know, anyway, so like, it didn't affect me at all. I'm like, I'm not mad. Even if, even if I had to do it all by myself. Like, Tom did something that actually communicates like, I like you enough to think I can prank you and to believe that you won't be mad about this. 
That's a sign of it's a sign of relationship. Like I'm not going to be mad about that. And even if I was mad about it, what's the worst that happened? And even if something terrible happened, I still like Tom. So I want to be a person of, who forgives quickly. I don't want to be a person who holds grudges because God didn't hold a grudge against me. I want to forgive in a way that the rest of the world doesn't forgive. How we treat people across race and political lines. Did you guys know there's an election this year? Did you guys, did you guys hear about that? It's like 2020, so there's going to be an election. And I just want to say, like, look, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get political here or anything, but I just I, I want to say we can choose to be people of love or we can choose to be people who are divided by politics. But we can't be both, okay? And so if you're a Democrat, you're welcome in this church. If you're a Republican, you're welcome in this church. If you're an independent, you're welcome in this church. If you're a libertarian, you're welcome in this church. If you're part of the Green Party, you're welcome in this church. If you're part of the Tea Party, you're welcome in this church. If you're part of a party that I have never heard of, you're welcome in this church. But I will tell you what's not real welcome here. We don't do division along political lines, we don't yell at each other. We don't call each other stupid. We can actually talk about politics without getting personal attacks. Okay? We're going to be people who in 2020, maybe just maybe the world could recognize us as like, there's this one weird group of people in Las Cruces who love each other and they don't all agree, but they still are really, really loving and they don't attack people on Facebook and they don't attack any, like, and, and, like, and pe- someone can say something that they disagree with and, 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 and they don't get mad. Like, like, you can have a Republican sitting next to someone who likes Bernie Sanders and they're not like choking each other out and like, you know, like, and it's just the craziest thing. They love each other no matter what. That's what we're called to do. That's, that's what should mark us, that we, that we can disagree politically and we can still agree that Jesus is Lord and Jesus loves us and Jesus loves everyone that we ever come in contact with. So why would I choose to, to not show love to someone because of politics when Jesus came to love everyone regardless of politics? It's just, it's like, so let's just not do that. Let's be people of love even when it comes to the politics of 2020. So we're marked by love, then we're motivated by love. Would you guys say Motivated. And here's what I mean by motivated. Why we do it should be different because of God's love through us. Let me talk about three things real quick. When it comes to why we serve at, at, at the church, last week we talked about God uses willing hands and hearts, or hands that are willing to serve. Here's why we serve. It's not because we should. It's not because we're needed. Although, I mean, at times you're needed. And, and when you're needed, we're like, you know, we need you. But we don't serve because we should. We don't serve because we're needed. We serve because God loved us so much that he served us. That's what our motivation is. So, so when you're getting up early on a Sunday morning or when you're staying late after a Sunday service, it's like, look, I'm not doing that because, because they need me to. I'm not doing it because, they, because someone said I should. I'm simply doing it because God loved me so much that he, that he sent Jesus and Jesus came as a servant of all. So why would I think that I, that I shouldn't serve? Like, I'm, I want to serve the way my Savior served me. That's why we serve. When it comes to why we give, we don't give because the church needs it. We don't give because, well, we're supposed to give. We don't give because your parents taught you to give somewhere along the way. Hopefully they did, but that's not, that's not ultimately why we give. And we don't ultimately even give because the Bible tells us to. We give because God loved, and because God loved, God gave. That, our, that generosity is the natural response to godly love. That's the game changer. So your generosity, it's not like, well, I give grudgingly, you know, because I'm supposed to. I write a check. I give online because, like, because that's what I'm supposed to do or because the church needs it. I mean, like, look, sometimes that happens. Like, I get it. But ultimately, our heart for, for generosity is not out of, we need it, we need it, we need it, we should, we should, we should. It's out of God loves so much that God gave Jesus the best that heaven had to offer. So why would I hold on? 
why, why would I hold anything back? God didn't hold anything back from me. God loved, so God gave. Here's why we invite. Here's why, again, just, you know, as we talked about, you know, we, we continually want to be a church inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. Why we invite, it's not to grow a church. Although I love that our church is growing because we invite, that's not really the reason. It's not to prove our Christianity. Well, I'm a better Christian than so-and-so because I invited and brought three people with me this week. Ha, 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 ha. It's not to prove our Christianity. It's not to get people to think like us. The reason that we invite is because we love people and we want them to experience the love that God has for them. And if the only way they'll hear about the love that God has for them is for us to step up and invite them to a place where they'll hear about the love that God has for them, why would I hold back an invitation that could change someone's life? We invite because of love. We invite because I love people and I love what God has done in me and I want, other, I want the people that I love to experience the God that has loved me. That's why we invite. And so if, if you're thinking about that and you're going like, wait, that actually like makes a lot of sense. It does. That's how God uses us. God uses people who are marked by love and God uses people who are motivated by love. And if we'll step up and for some of us, maybe be willing to change our motivation from, oh, they need us, I should, to, you know what? I'm just doing this out of response to what God has done for me. God's gonna maybe just turn around and do something amazing in you or through you that you can't even begin to imagine. And so if, if, if you're asking the question, well, how, like, if God can use anyone, I want him to use me, but how is that gonna happen? This is the starting point. This is the starting point, to step up as men and women who have been loved by God and who have been loved by God in such a way that we would actually turn around and love others the way God has loved us. That's how it starts. That's how it keeps going. That's how we keep growing. And that's how we keep changing our city and how we keep changing the world. Let's be marked by love and let God use us. Let me pray for you.